John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? How in the world is going to enter into his mother's womb for the second time? Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Notice this, that which is born of flesh is flesh. Flesh is lowercase letters there. Small f, small f. Now watch. That which is born of the Spirit, capital S, is Spirit, little s. The big S is him. We're the little s. It says his Spirit. Bible said in Romans 8, his Spirit bears witness to your Spirit. There's something goes far beyond just a physical something. That's what's going on in this room right now. And uh, basically the presence of God is saying to your Spirit, you're my boy. You're my girl. You belong to me. Marvel not that I say, you must be born again. This is my translation of verse 8. The wind blows wherever it wants to. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. This is the last thing that Luke remembers Jesus saying. Luke 24, 49. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Because we've had such an overwhelming, we just had amazing how many new people are looking at this church and how many people are being baptized and filled with the Spirit and others that are curious about it, I'm going to teach you something today simply entitled The Birth of Promise. All right? God bless you. You may be seated. It's in red, okay? I didn't say this. Jesus said it. You must be born again. That's pretty adamant. Um, Do you know that every major religion in the world has the story of a guy and a boat and a flood? Every religion has that story, the major religions. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. So... If the truth, see, he can't violate his own nature. He can't tell a lie and still be the truth. I I was taught all my life the truth was a doctrinal position. But the truth is not a doctrinal position. The truth is a person. Jesus said, I'm the truth. And I know people who are so in love with their doctrine but they have no living relationship with Jesus Christ. We, that can't. The Bible said the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. I, I know people that can literally take the Bible and kill somebody spiritually with it. And uh, they're just mean with the Word. And you can do that. You can use the letter to kill people. You can use the Word to kill people. You've got to have the Spirit of the Word. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Truth is right information. Spirit is right attitude. I've said this for a long time, and I've been criticized for saying it, but I'm right, and the rest of them are wrong. I would rather work with people who have bad doctrine but a great attitude than people who have good doctrine but a horrible attitude. uh, Attitude is so very important. And since Jesus is the truth, and he said the guy's name was Noah, the guy's name was Noah. <laughs> I don't care what every other religion says. The truth said his name was Noah. I'm telling you that story because the truth said you must be born again. It's a big deal. So let me start in the Old Testament. 
and let me give you what I think is a wonderful study and the power of the second birth. And then let me show you how to experience something that Jesus said was a must. You must be born again. One of the most amazing people in the Bible is a guy by the name of Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Enoch shares a distinction in the Bible with only one other man. Not even Jesus can say this. Enoch and Elijah were the two men that never experienced death. They did not die. Elijah, taken in a whirlwind. Enoch, it just says, he walked with God and he was not because God took him. He got so close to that the Lord said, it's closer to my house today than it is to yours. Come on, let's go home. And uh, Enoch's blessing was carried over onto his son, Methuselah, and enabled him to hold the distinction of being the oldest man that ever lived on the earth. I'm convinced the reason Methuselah had that long life was because of the father that he had. Listen to what it says in Genesis 5 and verse 21. Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Watch this verse. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, begat sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 that phrase in verse 22, that he walked with God after. It's, a, it's, it's typology. It's trying to prove something to us. Because this man is so well known in the word because he walked with God. But in verse 22, it says this. That walk didn't start until... He had a new birth in his life. He walked with God after there was a new birth in his life. There's a lot you can teach from that. One thing you should understand is every daddy ought to know that verse. Because when you're blessed with children, you better make sure you walk with God after your children are born. America is weak. Because America has weak churches. Churches are weak because they have weak families. Families are weak because they have weak or non-existent dads. If we can fix the dad problem, we can fix the family, we can fix the church. We might even fix this other broken thing called America. It begins with godly dads. Daddy, if you have children... Walk with God. I, I think this is so important because I want to take you to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to read six verses to you that I think are, are the ultimate in teaching this lesson today. Here's Romans 9 and 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Let me take this verse by verse and explain to you what's going on. They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So the question is, 
Who in the world is Israel? Israel is a very elastic word, depending on where you are in the Bible. Today, of course, it's a nation. A little bigger than Rhode Island. Isn't it amazing that that tiny piece of property, I promise you, if you go home today, that nation will be in your paper. It doesn't go away. With this last nuclear scientist being assassinated and they're trying to stop Iran's nuclear program, Iran has vowed retribution on the nation of Israel and on the United States. It's just another link in an ongoing saga. That little bit of dirt over there just has such prominence in the world today. You have to understand the story. You have to understand that, that Abraham has uh, got a big family. <laughs> a big family. And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isaac's got these two boys. Esau and Jacob. There's two things you've got to understand. The birthright and the blessing. They're not the same thing. The birthright was something that if you were the firstborn son, you were guaranteed, didn't matter how many siblings there were, you were guaranteed to get twice as much as any of the others. Just because you were the firstborn son. But then there was a blessing that was given to that firstborn son by the father. The Bible said that Esau came home one day and Jacob was making bean soup. Lentils is what the Bible says. Esau said, I, I got to have some of this soup or I'm going to die. His brother being very shrewd said, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. You give me your birthright. I'll give you a bowl of bean soup. Esau made the deal. And the Bible criticizes him because he undervalued his birthright position. Later on, the old man's about ready to die. And it's very interesting because it says that basically Isaac liked Esau and mom liked Jacob. And um, it's a divided house. It says his eyes were dim. He's blind. He gets Esau and he says, now you go kill a deer. Make me that venison stew like only you can make. I'll eat your soup and then I'll bless you and then I'm going to die. Well, mama's outside with her, nose, her ear up against the door. Esau puts on his camos and he's gone. She gets a hide of an animal puts it on the forearms of Jacob, said he was a smooth man. Put it on the back of his neck, went to Jacob's closet, got his old hunting coat, smelled all earthy, you know. Jacob smelled like aftershave, but Esau, he smelled like the field. They knew the recipe. So they made this soup, and they go in there, and the old man rubbing them arms and feeling all that hair, back of that neck, smelling that jacket, tasting that stew. And he says, you know, <coughs> tastes like Esau's venison. Sure does smell like his clothes, feels like his arms, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. So his eyes might not have been working, but his ears were working great. But they continued the ruse. And uh, Jacob lied, said, no, that's really me. Well, bow down here and I'm going to bless you. And he put his hands on Jacob's head, transferred that blessing to that boy. That boy no sooner walks out of the room and Esau's in the backyard hanging up a deer, cooks that thing up and brings it in and says, daddy, here we go. And... Uh, and the old man said, I have already given the blessing away. 
There's a great verse in Hebrews that said, Esau sought it carefully with tears, but he found no place of repentance. In other words, once that blessing was handed off, he couldn't just conjure it up again. Something mystical and magical happened when that dad put his head, hands on that boy's head. He comes out of daddy's bedroom and he says, I'm going to kill you. So mama buys him a bus ticket out of town. And uh, he ends up at this place called Luz, which means an almond branch cut off. But he has this dream about these angels going up and coming down. And when he wakes up, it said he turned his pillow into a pillar. He grabbed a bottle of oil out of his knapsack and he started anointing everything. And he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God and the gate to heaven. And then he prayed this prayer. I, I've proven in Bible studies past, he's at least 70 years old. He's not a teenager. He, but listen to his prayer. If God will be with me. And if he will keep me in the way that I go. And if he will give me raiment to eat. Or raiment to wear and food to eat. And bring me back to my father's house in peace. Then he will be my God. And I will pay my tithe unto him. Anybody that tells you tithing started with the law and ended with the law. They don't know the Bible. Tithing is a law of life, and it preempts the law by many, 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 many years. <laughs> Since it didn't begin with the law, it sure didn't end with the law. And it's, a, it's an amazing story because he goes to his, what would be his father-in-law. That's the story of Leah and Rachel. He's there for at least 20 years. Every good crook knows. See, his name means deceiver. Every good crook knows when it's time to get out of Dodge. He's got both the girls. He's got all the kids. He's got all the cows, all the flocks. He's got all the sheep, the goats. He leaves. As he's trying to go back home, somebody comes to him and said, your brother's coming to meet you and he's going to kill you. You're never going to get back home but he remembered his prayer would you bring me back to my father's house in peace he divides his wife and kids and as we are all so prone to do when we know we're in a really bad place we pray and he's Haggai said it happened in intercession now, in Genesis, it says he wrestled with a man until the breaking of a day. But Haggai said it was intercession. In other words, he's in a prayer meeting. And this is not just any man he's wrestling with. An angel of the Lord says, what's your name? He said, my name is Jacob, which means deceiver or liar. He said, from this point forward... You will not be known as Jacob. You will be known as Israel. You will have power with God and influence with men. And when he got out of that prayer meeting and he met his brother, the Bible said Esau ran and fell on his neck and began to cry. And the last part of his prayer was answered, that he was able to go back to his father's house in peace. This is the revelation of Romans 9 and 6. They are not all Israel who are of Israel. It's talking about Jacob. Paul is writing this letter years later. It, I, I, off the top of my head, I think it's Romans 11. I could be wrong, but I'm just flying by the seat of my pants right now with this. There is a verse where Paul said, if it was possible, I am willing to be lost if Israel could be saved. He loves the Jewish nation, but they are not all Israel who are of Israel, which means 
natural birth doesn't guarantee spiritual hunger. I have a dear friend who pastors in Romulus, and, and he had a lady receive the baptism of the Spirit in his church several years ago, and he didn't know her, and he asked her, what, what, do, you, what do you do for a living? And she said, I work at the United Nations. And in, in a matter of time, she asked him, would you be willing to come to New York City every week and teach a Bible study at the United Nations? And it was a huge commitment, but Art Wilson made that commitment. And for years now has been going to the United Nations because of his status as it's risen there. He was invited to Vice President Pence's office. He had a Bible study there. He's rubbed shoulders with everybody. And he's such a humble guy and He's not trying to just be a name dropper, but he really has met these people on a regular basis. I asked Art Wilson a question that's always bothered me. Why don't Jewish people back conservative politicians? It's very obvious to me that the outgoing president was a great friend to the nation of Israel. I would have thought just by him moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem would have made him a favorite of all the Jews. And yet, if you study it, most of the Jewish people that live in America are very liberal in their political leanings. And so I asked Hart Wilson, how in the world could somebody that's a Jew vote for someone who obviously isn't a friend of the nation of Israel. And he said, Harold, it's a rhetorical question, which means, of course, the answer was already in my question. And I looked at him so quizzically, and he said, here's your problem, Harold. You assume that just because they're Jews, they love the nation of Israel. And he said, they don't. Just because you're a Jew doesn't guarantee you're, there's so many of them that are for this one world system and all of that. <clears throat> so they don't believe that Israel is highly favored of God. They don't believe. So just because they're Israel doesn't mean they're Israel. And, and listen to verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise that this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. What does that mean? It means that it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But that's not the way it was supposed to go. Because Isaac wasn't the firstborn son. Abraham had another boy before he had Isaac. And if you know your Bible, you know exactly who that is, Ishmael. Ishmael's mother was an Egyptian slave, Hagar. But the Bible said, Sarah's going to have a child. And he's going to be the child of promise. There's, there's a fascinating verse. I, th I think it's, it's, in, it's in Galatians. I, I, I Here it is. Here, here's Galatians 4 and verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. This is when the, the plot thickens. Because it's saying Abraham had two boys, but the first son wasn't the child of promise. It was the second birth. It was the second son. It wasn't Israel. It was Isaac. And then listen to what it says in verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for it was said the elder shall serve the younger, because Isaac and Rebekah are going to have kids and she's got twins and we don't know who said it 
but someone prophesied over her right before she gives birth. And it says, two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And if you know your Bible, Esau was the firstborn son. But Esau didn't get the birthright, and he didn't get the blessing. Jacob, the second son, had the birthright and the blessing. Go on to Joseph. Here's this amazing story of Joseph sold by his brothers down into Egypt, promoted in a man's house by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. He won't participate. I can't do this against my God. He ends up in prison on a trumped-up rape charge, meets a butler, the former butler of the king, and the baker of the king. God, they have dreams And Joseph said, I know what your dreams mean. He looked at the baker and said, you better get your house in order. You're going to die. And he looked at the butler and he said, you're going to be restored to your former position. When you get there, please remember me. The baker is killed. The butler is restored, but forgets Joseph languishing in prison. All of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream brings all of his magicians and his soothsayers and his wise guys. And he said, I had a dream and it troubled me so deeply. I need you to tell me what it means. And they said, well, we could tell you what it means. Would you just tell us what the dream is? And he said, that's the problem. I can't even remember the dream. And they said, well, nobody could do that except the gods be with him. They were wrong. God, not gods. All of a sudden, there's this guy standing there who just served breakfast, and he said, hey, I had a guy in prison that told me I was going to be restored to my position, and here I am. And Pharaoh said, well, go get him. And they bring Joseph in front of him, and he said, can you tell me my dream? He said, absolutely. You saw seven fat cows, and then they came out of the river, and seven skinny cows ate them up. Yes, that's what it was. What's it mean? He said, God is going to give you seven years of great harvest. And you need to be wise enough to store the grain because the world's going to go through a seven-year famine. If I was you, I'd find somebody that really, really was a good administrator. And all of a sudden he said, well, who in the world could I choose better than you? And he put his ring on his finger, put his robe on him, marched him through town, commanded everybody to bow in front of Joseph. And guess what? Somewhere in that crowd was Potiphar's old lady who put him in jail on a trumped up rape charge. She had to bow to the second most powerful man in Egypt now. Seven years of plenty. He's a good administrator. All of a sudden the famine goes around the world. And Isaac and Jacob, all that whole bunch, they say, we got to sit. We got, I heard they got corn down in, there's corn down in Egypt. And Jacob sent 10 of his boys down there. And all of a sudden, if you know the intrigue that went through, finally, finally, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. I love this verse. It said, and the joints of their knees were loosed. <laughs> they were scared, slapped to death. It said, my God, this is baby brother's chance to get retribution. He's going to kill us all. And one of the greatest verses you ever read in the Bible, Joseph looked at his brothers and said, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. Because if you would have never sold me, I would have never ended in Potiphar's house. If I'd never been to Potiphar's house, I'd never met his wife. If I'd never met his wife, I'd never been to prison. If I'd never been to prison, I'd never met the butler. If I'd never met the butler, I'd never meet the king. If I'd never met the king, I'd never be where I am now. Don't you see, boys? You play the hand. You can't keep good men down. If the touch of God is on you, you're going to be okay. God keeps good books. <laughs> and it's this fascinating story because it's 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 in it's in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter oh uh, it's it's I think it's forty eight in chapter forty. See, uh, this is so real to me. I'll, I'll read to you here. Here's Genesis forty eight and eight. And Israel, or of course Jacob, beheld Joseph's sons and said, "Whose are these?" And he said, "These are my sons." who God gave me in this place. 
and Joseph brought them, verse 12, from between his knees. And he wants his daddy to bless them because this is what went on. While he's in Egypt, he takes an Egyptian wife and he has two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. I wish I had time to teach you about their names. One of their names being God made me fruitful in this barren land that I was stuck down here in, in, in Siberia and the Lord still took care of me and he named his boys after the blessings of God on his life. This is so real to me because we just had Thanksgiving and my, my, right before Thanksgiving, my daughter and my son-in-law and my two granddaughters came to spend three days with us and and it was it was such a special time and 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 I've got a new granddaughter she's 11 months old and I I I sat down to try to talk to her and I said I I, this is my first time to see you and I'm so grateful that you're in my house and she just started crying and reached out for her mom because she didn't recognize my voice and she didn't recognize my face and she's very this is a totally different girl, this second baby. She's very, very sensitive and tender. And, and, and I did my best to disarm her for three days. And I wasn't completely successful. And I, I see Joseph with these two little boys be, between his legs. And they're looking at it and saying, who is this old man? And, I don't, I don't, and, and, and read the verse. It said that Joseph took, he, he took Manasseh in his right hand. Or, or took Ephraim rather in his right hand and pushed him so his dad's facing him. So Joseph's right hand becomes Jacob's left hand. He takes Ephraim and he pushes him towards his dad's left hand. He takes his left hand with his firstborn son Manasseh and he pushes that little boy up to that old man's right hand and he said, Daddy, would you, w- w- would you pray for my boys? And this is what it says in verse 13. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near. Look at 14. Jacob, or Israel, stretched out his right hand and laid it on the wrong boy's head. He laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's hand, Head guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Look, 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 look what Joseph, he goes in verse 18, he said, Not so, my father. You got the wrong hand on the right boy. You, you, daddy, that, that, that's my, my firstborn son. But if you read the next verse, he said, Look, they're both going to be great, but I'm telling you, Ephraim is going to be greater than Manasseh. And when he laid his hands, on those boys there was something mystic and magical that was trans and if you know your old testament ephraim exceeded the greatness of manasseh by many many multiples of times what do you say it's there again and again it's 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 not ishmael it's isaac it's it's not esau it's jacob it's it's not manasseh it's ephraim it's the second birth that's the birth of promise it's the second child that's really going to be the one that's going to be used. What in the world are you telling me, Brother Hoffman? I'm telling you what Jesus said. Don't be amazed at what I'm telling you. You have to be born. You must be born again. You had nothing to say about the first time you were born, but you have everything to say about the second time you were born. You must be born again. See, there's at least five things that Jesus is saying here. Number one, you have to be born again. Let me tell you what, every church preaches that. Every preacher preaches you must be born again, but they don't preach the next thing that Jesus taught. He said, you've got to be born again of water and spirit. Here's the third thing Jesus taught. If you're not born of water and spirit, you're not going to see the kingdom. You're not even going to see it until you're born again. Here's the fourth thing he taught. If you're not born of water and spirit, you can't enter in the kingdom. Here's the fifth thing that he taught. You've got to wait for the wind. Whenever you see the wind, you're going to know. So is everyone that's born of the spirit. I was taught all my life, once you're baptized and filled with the spirit, you're in the kingdom. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, you're not even going to see it 
until you're born of water and spirit. Then you're going to have to make the decision. Am I going to enter the kingdom way of life? If they're automatically in the kingdom just by water and spirit, I want to know where all these thousands of people are that this church and other churches have baptized just in the last five years. I'm telling you, it's not the seal of good housekeeping just because you got baptized and filled with the spirit. You have to make a decision. I am going to change the way I live. I am going to make a commitment to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, as I go through these scriptures, here's, you say, see, see, here's my first principle. You've got to be born again. It's a Bible principle. The second birth is the birth of promise. But what does that mean? How do you experience, how do you experience being born again of water and spirit? There's a fascinating verse in John 14 and verse 20, where Jesus said, you have to be in me and I have to be in you. So the first thing is, we need to get in Christ. How do you get in him? Let me give you a Bible verse. Here's Galatians 3 and verse 27. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So now you are in him through baptism. Why do you put him on? Because here, listen to this verse. It's in Romans 13 and 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Why? Because in Romans 8 and 13, it says, if you live after the flesh, you're going to die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, you're going to live. So it's a big deal about getting water baptized. It's picture a swimming pool called Jesus, and you dive into that. You've got, you understand, you're in him. But that doesn't mean he's in you. That's why it says in Romans 8 and 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of Christ. Colossians 1 and 27 says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The book of Acts is the diary of the New Testament church. In John 7, 37, 38, and 39, this is what it says. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the, watch, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus wasn't glorified yet. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all end with the same story. His death, his resurrection, and then he leaves. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all end right there. I read you the last thing that Luke said. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait or tarry until you get the promise. Why? Because if you want to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is after he's glorified, which happens after he leaves. So it's going to bring you to the next book, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the diary of the New Testament church. Acts is 28 chapters, but it's divided into two big divisions. Acts 1 through 12, Simon Peter is the principal spokesman. 13 through 28, the apostle Paul is the principal spokesman. That's why everything after the book of Acts is basically a letter written by one of the apostles to a church that was started in the book of Acts. So if you want to get in the church, you got to get in the book of Acts. If you want to stay in the church, you've got to get in the epistles. Don't go in the epistles to find out about how to be born again and how to get in the church. 
It's not there. I'm not saying Acts is more important than any other book, but if you want to know how to get, see, it's called the last will and testament. You know, we, we, this is the New Testament. What was the, you talk about the will of God. What was the, that's, that's the whole ministry of Jesus. I'm going to have a church. 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 That's my will. That's the whole message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there's no church possible until after his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why you have to go to the book of Acts. And this becomes so powerful, you see, because everything after the book of Acts was basically a letter written to somebody that was already in the church. So when you go to the book of Acts, there's only four places, four, where people were water baptized. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. There's only four. I'll give you a million bucks if you can find anywhere else. It's not there. But in every incident in Acts 2, Acts 8, I'll read them to you. Here's Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's Acts 8 and 16. This is Philip with Samaritans. For as yet he had fallen on none of them, which means none of them had been filled with the Spirit yet, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here's Acts 10, Wednesday at our Thanksgiving service. We have a precious young man here, and Fadi Butchers, and he said, I'd already been baptized two times. But he said, I never understood the revelation of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And he said, when I saw it, I submitted myself, and he said, I got baptized for the third time. <laughs> Why? I'll give you a million dollars if you can find me any place in the Bible where somebody was sprinkled. It's not there. The word baptism is a Greek word, baptizo. There's another word, rantizo. I don't have time to give you all the history and all the, 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 the specs on all this, but rantizo means sprinkled. Baptizo means dipped immersed or plunged beneath it's baptism it's 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 an immersion it's a burial we're not throwing a handful of dirt on somebody we're burying them this is very very important you see because in in acts chapter 10 these these in acts chapter 10 these are amazing this is cornelius and 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 while while peter yet spake the word they, they, and they were baptized, they were filled with the Spirit, and they were baptized. Here it is in Acts 10, 48. He commanded them. I'm trying to be a nice guy. Edna, are you here today? Here, your grandfather was dying of cancer, and he sat right there on the platform. And I knew he just had a couple of days to live. And I said, I want you to get in that water right now. And we're going to baptize you in Jesus' name. And some of your family members went, oh, how could you? And I said, what do we got to lose? And I said, I got Bible for this. He command, he com Peter commanded them, get your carcass in that water right now. I'm trying to be a nice guy. Pete wasn't a nice guy because he understood the power of what he was preaching. He commanded them. Look at Acts 19 and verse number 5. These are people that have, these are the original Baptists. These are people that have been baptized by John the Baptist. And he said, have you ever, did you ever receive the Holy Ghost? They said, we don't know if we're even allowed to get it. And he said, of course you could. He explained to them that John the Baptist preceded Jesus and said, somebody was coming after me greater than me. And that somebody has come. And said, when they heard this, when they heard this, even though they've been baptized by John the Baptist, Jesus said, there's never been a man greater born among women. But then he said this, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And even though they've been baptized by John the Baptist, they submitted to being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's only four places. Acts 2.38, 8.16, 10.48, There's only four places where people were baptized. They were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about putting him on. Jesus said, you have to do this. 
This is important. That's why I'm laboring in the Word with you right now, trying to explain to you how valuable and how scriptural this is. There is no more scripturally documented doctrine in the New Testament than water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Why do you resist that? Why don't you want to do that? Well, because Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. That's, that's Matthew 28, 19, right? So my question is, who is he talking to? Go to verse 16. It said the 11 disciples. Judas is dead. There's 11. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, 13, 14, and 15. There's 11 names mentioned there. Are those 11 in Acts 1 the same 11 that Jesus talked to in Matthew 28? Of course they are. And this is what he said. Baptized in the name of the Lord, of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a grandfather. That's not my name. The name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And I, I, I feel inspired to say this. I'm like, you know, we, there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. But God is spirit. And if God remains spirit, he can't redeem any of us. Jesus Christ is not Jehovah Junior. It's God in flesh. Do you understand that? That's what's so powerful about this revelation. And so what's, what amazes me is that Jesus shed his blood. He had no earthly father. Where did the, where did the genetic information for his blood come from? We've got something amazing going on here. And what you have to realize is Jesus died 2,000 years ago. So how do you and I access his blood today? Leviticus 17, 11 says, life of the flesh is in the blood. That's what it says through the New Old Testament. It doesn't say that in the New Testament because it's like a flower. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Watch what it says in John 20 and 31. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life through his name. Why? Because according to John 20 and 31, if you have the name, you got life. If you've got life, according to Leviticus 17 and 11, you got blood. If you have blood, based on Hebrews 9 and 22, you have remission. If you have remission, God got Alzheimer's and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus and have not existed until that day. But if you don't have the name, you can't have life. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you don't have the name, you don't have life. If you don't have life, you don't have blood. Hebrews 9 and 20. If you don't have blood, there's no remission. If there's no remission, you just got wet. I'm telling you, the blood is in the name of Jesus. That's how we access the blood today. That's why Acts 2.38, that's why 8.16, that's why 10 and 48, that's why Acts 19, it's always the name of the Lord Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus. I'll prove it to you in Acts chapter 5. They told the disciples, don't you dare preach in Jesus' name, and they kept on preaching. So they brought him in and they said, didn't we command you not to teach or preach in this man's name? Do you intend to bring his blood on this city? Absolutely, because the only way you can bring his blood on a city is by preaching and teaching the name. The blood's in the name. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. This is why this is so important. Somewhere to my left, where are you, Snow? I haven't met you yet. This is Snow Fields, right? And this is Snow. Where's your daughter? Huh? Huh? But the, you got a daughter named Snow, right? So this is more Snow, okay? I got two beautiful black women called Snow. I like that. That's amazing. This, you got another daughter? What is your name? Oh, we're delighted that you're here. <laughs> we are delighted. I, I, I wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in the world, but I, I don't think I've ever met you, have I? But snow, snow has a trespasser in her body. 
and got a hold of Clorinda and said, I need prayer. Could I come to church and have prayer over me? This is what you, you may be seated. This is what you have to understand, Snow. Here's the problem that people make. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's Hebrews 9. That's not what it says. It says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It doesn't say remission of sins. Because you can't limit the blood of Jesus to just sin, see? See, in the Old Testament, they, that, that high priest went into the Holy of Holies and he splashed blood seven times on the mercy seat. And that's when God manifested his presence. And they called it Shekinah or the shining. It's very, very powerful. So look at Jesus on the cross. He's got a hole in both wrists. So there's two sources of blood. He's got holes in both of his ankles. Now I got four sources of blood. He's got his back ripped apart by a whip. Now I've got five sources of blood. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. I got six places bleeding. But finally a soldier sticks a spear in his side. Now just as there were seven sources of blood in the Old Testament on the cross there are seven places that he's bleeding from. Why? Because you can't limit blood to sin the blood that came out of his side was for our sin but what about the blood on his back that wasn't for your sin by his stripes you are healed that's physical healing in your body what was the crown of thorns for he turned a the a, th- a thorn was a curse but Jesus turned a curse into a crown because the blood from the side will take care of your sin and the blood from his back will heal your body and the blood from his brow will give you bomb for your brain and it'll help you emotionally and it'll settle you down what, and you got four additional sources to take up anything I can't think of I'm telling you, folks, the blood's in the name. That's why in just a few minutes, we're going to play, pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Because if there's one thing the blood can't fix, the blood can't fix anything. I got to finish, okay? Watch. It's so important that these say, there are so many, I could give you dozens of verses for people being filled with the Spirit. But ironically enough, the same four that give us information about baptism in His name give us the best information about what happened when people were filled with the Spirit. Here's Acts chapter 2 and verse number 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's Acts chapter 10. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, or the Jewish posse, that Peter brought with him, because he's in a Gentile dog's house, see? He's not supposed to be. He brings six pounds to cover his tracks, and while he's preaching, they get the Holy Ghost. Listen to what it says. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Watch. For they heard them speak with tongues. The most critical audience in the world were Jews. But when those Gentiles were filled with the Spirit and spoke with tongues, the Jews had to begrudgingly admit these people have received the same Holy Ghost that we received because they spoke in tongues just like we did. So how did the Jews know the Gentiles got the Holy Ghost? They heard them speak with tongues. How are you going to know I got the Holy Ghost? You're going to hear me speak with tongues. How am I going to know you got the Holy Ghost? I'm going to hear you speak with tongues. Look at Acts chapter 19. When these people have been baptized by John the Baptist, they're now baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul laid his hands upon them in Acts 19 and 6. And the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. But I left one out. It's Acts chapter 8. This is Philip in Samaria. Philip's not one of the early apostles. He's one of those seven men that were chosen to hand out the peanut butter sandwiches and the Kool-Aid to the Greek widows who were completely but he went down to Samaria and he's just a good deacon in a church. He's not the senior pastor. He's just doing what everybody ought to do. He was a witness. So what happens? People, he's praying for people. He's praying. Where's Diana? Where are you at? Stand up, sweetheart. This girl came to me before service and she, oh, was it a Facebook page? 
And she said, I want to bless people. Do you have any clothing that you could share with me? She, she is, it four, is it 48 hours? I don't want to be evangelistic here. She showed me pictures. My house is full. My vehicle is full. She's leaving church today and has appointments until 7 o'clock tonight to go to people. I'm not talking junk here. I'm talking nice stuff. And she said, Pastor, I'm wondering what I, my ministry, I want, to, I want to do something for God. And she told me, I've got all their emails and I've got all their phone numbers and my eyes lit up and I said that's it baby doll she said what do you mean I said they gave you your prayer she had a shirt on with Talisha can I pray for you and then they said would you pray for my daughter would you pray for my family she's writing their names down with their email and their prayer requests so now we're going to pray and what's going to happen is she's going to stay in touch with them and say what's happened give us an update and she said my ministry my ministry I thought it was closed but it's more than closed it's praying for people and seeing God. She's not the pastor. She's not the ladies ministry director. She's not the worship leader. She's just somebody that's filled with the Holy Ghost that wants to do something for God. <coughs> oh, Jesus. Look, I gotta go fast. Here's Acts chapter eight. They've got miracles. <clears throat> There's healings. Philip's baptizing people. But it says, for as yet, he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Philip, being submitted to his pastor, got a hold of Peter and said, Pastor, would you come down here? I got a whole bunch of people need praying for. Peter came down, laid his hands on him. They were filled with the Spirit. There's this guy there by the name of Simon. The Bible said he's a sorcerer. I'm not talking magician here. I'm not talking card tricks here. He's a sorcerer. He gave himself over to evil spirits. He's been baptized with these people. And he's filled with the Spirit. I can prove to you he got the same Holy Ghost as everybody else. But it said when he saw that, he offered them every bit of his money saying, I want to buy that trick. What did he see? That so arrested him. He knew something in the spirit was going on. It doesn't say in Acts 8 they spoke with tongues. But I'm convinced it did. Because Simon saw something that so stunned him. And here's the scary part. Peter said, your money perishes with you. Watch. Because your heart's not right with God. He's been baptized and filled with the Spirit, but he hasn't made the choice to enter the kingdom way of life. And his attitude, his heart is messed up. We're going to pray. I wish, I, I wish all of you could know Fabiana. Fabiana was married to a famous soccer player from South America when she first came to this church. Boy, was he handsome. Whew, he was handsome. But they had a horrible marriage. She called me pastor. They had a handicapped child. I remember the day Fabiana called me. Would you come to the cemetery and Pray with us over our little girl. She just died. I did my best to minister to that very broken family. Husband wasn't faithful to Fabiana. He got sick and died. She was left alone with the family trying to make do. Now, she's got a daughter that's very, very sick. She went to South America, moved back to South America, moved back here. She calls me pastor, calls this church her home. She's one of the most precious people you ever meet in your life. But as I was coming up on the platform today, she texted the sound room and said, please, please pray for my daughter. My daughter's in trouble right now. And she's very, very, very sick. This is what James said. A very small rudder turns a big boat. 
A very small bit turns a big horse. The tongue is the most difficult member in your body to tame. When God fills you with his spirit, you're a vessel. I can prove that biblically. He'll fill you like this. And that last orifice, he will use your tongue to glorify himself in another language that you never learned. That's power. That's power. You cannot biblically say you have been filled with the Holy Spirit until the Lord controls the most difficult part of your body to control. God wants to magnify himself through you in another language. Hallelujah. Listen to me. You must be born again. You've got to experience the second birth. You've got to put him on by being water baptized in the name of Jesus. You need to get him in by being filled with the Spirit and let him totally control your body so that you can be a witness. We're going to stand right now. It's faith. Oh, I, 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 don't, know, I don't know why. I, I do know why it happened. It's because of prayer. I was there when my girls were born. Let me tell you about my wife when my daughters were born. Renee wasn't playing Sudoku. She was going, oh! I can prove to you in the Bible, the church is the mother. It's not the duty of the baby to struggle. It's not the duty of the baby, amen, to go through all of it. It's, it's push, push. It's the duty of the mom to do that intercession and to do that groaning and with it's not up to guest to labor around the altar. That should have already been, and it's being done by us in prayer. We're praying on Sunday. We're praying Monday evening. Hey Amen. My, my wife's got a prayer meeting with women every morning at 7.30. The staff's praying se- on, 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 on Thursday morning. It's prayer. What? Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. Vanderwater has intercessory prayer. You, this is, we had, we had a, I, I'm telling, I, I was laboring in the first service and all of a sudden, as I was walking out, a man just walked up right there and I mean in 30 seconds, just threw his hands up and he told John Gibbs, he said, I got this heat. It's, it's like indigestion inside of me. And John said, the Bible said it'll be like a river flowing out of you. He said, why don't you just let it out? He just threw up his hands and God filled him with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues. Just bam, bam, right there. Why, why is it happening easier? Why are there more people getting baptized than before? Prayer, prayer, prayer is the intercession. Prayer is the groaning. Prayer is that mother going, ah, ah, I don't want the baby to die in the birth canal. I want that birth to be very easy in happening without effort. That's the duty of the mother to make that strain and that effort. And there are people in this room right now, amen, that want prayer. So I'm asking Snow to come. Come up here with your girls. Come on, them Tyson girls. My God, these amazing Tyson girls. Michael, I'll let you and John pray with her. Amen. I want you in the crowd. Her name is Fabiana. I want you to pray with me right now. We're going to pray for physical healing right now. Will you do that with me? Lord Jesus, by the authority of the Word of God and the power in the name Jesus, we take authority over every trespasser, every squatter that's trying to take up residence in the life of these people right now. We're asking you, God, to evict it. Throw it out like the trash that it truly is. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm calling on the blood from the back. I'm calling on the blood from the back for every one of those stripes that was laid on your back, Lord. I don't know which stripe it was, but there are 39 of them, Lord. Somewhere in that mystery of those stripes, there's a category that deals with snow right now. Lord, touch your body. Heal her from stem to stern. Amen. From the top of the hat down to the shoes. I'm asking you, Lord, but don't just heal her body. Fill her with your spirit. Let something mighty and powerful 
every inner spirit today. I pray for Fabiana. I pray for her family.